This morning, I want to continue to talk about the Jesus way in a particular topic that I think is one of the ways that we divert from the world in a clear way. And sometimes we, uh, we've committed our lives to Jesus, not knowing fully what that was going to mean down the way. Anyone agree with me on that, right? We, we know we want to follow Jesus. We know we want the salvation. We just sometimes don't know that the cross comes with that. We forget that. And uh, Jesus has a, such a good way to call us to live. It's, I think, the best way of life possible. But it runs counter to many ways that the world teaches us. And some of us got degrees and things, and we were mentored by people that taught us a certain way when it came to leadership, to influence. That's not the Jesus way. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to point us back to the way that Jesus lived, the way he taught, and the way we're called to influence our world as well. I'm calling this series Choosing Kingdom Leaders. It's just two weeks we're going to be having this conversation. And uh, it's that time of, uh, of our church's life and a season where we are about to select new elders, nominate uh, new people who will lead us into the next phase. And this will go on for several months. You'll hear more about it uh, coming up. But I, I think this is a really important time. And I want you to also know that this, this conversation speaks into a lot more of our lives than just deciding who will lead our current congregation. All of us, I believe, are leaders because what I see as leadership is leadership is influence. That's how I would define it. And all of us have influence in different ways. And some of us may think of ourselves more as leaders that are up front in front of people and organizations and leading our families. Others of us may wonder, well, what does that really look like? I don't consider myself as a leader, but I believe everyone is a Jesus follower is called to be an influencer, called to speak the truth of Jesus into the world, to lead in his way. And so it matters that each of us see ourselves, the influence that we have, and think about how we do that. I have some books on my shelf uh, that are leadership books that don't teach what I'm going to teach this morning. Because a lot of leadership and the way it's taught is this kind of top-down approach, isn't it? That if you're going to be a leader, you've got to be a strong person who, who gets to the top. And when you have that influence, when you're finally in that role, then you'll be able to lead down to those who are below you. And I think we need a different vision in our time and age because we need to be a people who are influencing our culture. But I think the Jesus way looks a little different than how some of our professors may have taught us, how some of our leaders in business may teach us, how some leaders in our country may teach us as well. And I think it's important for us to see this because we are called to be salt and light. Amen. We are called to influence. It's just how we go about that. The means to it is very important. So for the next few months, we're going to talk about this elder selection process. My hope is that each of you will be able to take the principles that we're using to nominate elders that Scripture talks about to also think about the ways that you're using your influence for the kingdom as well. Uh, one of the things I want to say today is just kind of a, a, a housekeeping note, I guess you could say, about this process coming up. We're going to try to do as much as we can of this process online uh, through our uh, database, My Green Oaks. And so uh, that's the primary way we're going to ask you to nominate. And in order to do that, we need all of you to kind of make sure you've got an account online. So I want to take you through that process real quick for those of you who are members, just to let you know something you probably have been told before. Some of you know uh, from logging in and you use that on a regular basis for directory or emails that you get. But if you go to greenvelokes.org, if you're one of our members, you can click on the My Greenville Oaks section, that red button at the top tab. If you click on that, it'll go to the next page. Uh, which is a login page. And some of you have used that or are used to that. If you're not sure if you have an account or not, if you want to create one, there's a button for that right here, create account. And maybe you've created the account and you've forgotten your password. You know, on most of those login things, there's a 
uh, forgot password, you can click on that and go through that. If you have trouble with any of that, and you say, I'm, I think I'm a member of this church. I don't know what the problem is. Uh, there's a place also on the right, a link to Denise Taylor, who's our office manager, who would love to help you. Uh, if you'll go through those other parts first and try to help her on that. So uh, if you can do that this week, next week, you'll be receiving an email and you'll be receiving a, a letter in the mail also, just letting you know about this process, how you can be involved, how the nomination goes. We're going to try to make this as streamlined as we possibly can, but a lot of us do online things for banking and all kinds of things in our lives. We're trying to make this as easy for those who are out of town, who aren't here to keep up with the process and be a part of nomination. So wanted to let you know that. Also, if you're an elder or if you're a, a guest uh, with us this morning, I want to let you know we're glad you're here. And this may feel like a little bit of an internal conversation over the next few weeks. I'm going to do my best to apply these, to, these principles to all of the areas of influence we have. But what I love uh, for those of you who are new to us or maybe thinking about where you're going to connect or what your next step in your spiritual journey may be is you get something that you probably wish you had with your, uh, your family that you get to choose with a church that you didn't don't normally get when you marry into a family. A lot of you would have loved to have gone to a family reunion prior to, to know a little bit more about the family, stuff you know now, right? And in a way, this is a behind-the-scenes look. This lets you see about how we choose leaders. We are an independent, autonomous church, uh, part of a larger group called Churches of Christ. And so we nominate elders from within our body uh, that are just regular people, right, that God has called. And, and, And so be thinking about who those influencers are. Who are the people in your life that you want to come and be a shepherd, a pastor. That's what we see in elder. There's kind of two roles of elder in our system that we try to remind ourselves of that scripture talks about. There's a role of oversight, and there's a role of shepherding and care and pastoring uh, the flock. And so uh, in our system, we've set up two teams, a a governance team and and a shepherding team. And the reason for that is we want a governance team to really take as much of the kind of meetings and administration and budgeting and all that for a smaller group so that the primary uh, work of the shepherding group can really be taking care of the church because we really feel like we've been out of balance uh, through the decades on that and want to do better. And it's really helped us. Uh, we need more, though, who can help us with that. And so be thinking right now, be praying about this process. In fact, right now, before I get in the message, I want to pray that God will lead us over these next few months as we nominate more people and walk through this process of confirming uh, elders that have been a part of this and and, and those that God will call in the days to come. So let me uh, say a prayer, and then we'll get into the message this morning. Our God and Father, you've been faithful through the generations to send people, to send leaders, broken, yes, and yet redeemed, sinner and yet saint. And in the mix of all that, God, you lead your church forward to be uh, salt and light in the world. Right now, God, our culture uh, really needs uh, strong leaders, people who will step up from every healthy sector of society and help lead things forward in a positive direction will speak out against things that are wrong and who will hold up things that are right. So God, I pray in these months ahead that we'll discover more of those leaders in our uh, midst. And uh, God, I just pray that you would, uh, you would superintend, that you would uh, be involved in every part of this process so that we might move forward uh, in the ways that you call us to as a church. We, we love you and we want to love our community better. Part of the way that's going to happen is through leaders that you call. And so I pray that you would work and you would move and you would stir our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen. When we come to an elder selection process, we have to admit that a lot of our conversation around this is impacted by the culture that we live in, right? Uh, We're not divorced from that. And as much as we try to go back to scripture, our biases and the way we think about things and nominations and all that, we we tend to draw that from other parts of our culture. And that's been true for a long time. And, and one of the main influencers in the American system is obviously the American democratic political process. 
In the American process, we elect people who are called on to represent our values and our opinions when they engage in the political process in D.C. and in local uh, places of government as well. Now, the question of if they do a good job of that is a question for another day in another organization. We're not going to get into that today. But we are called together to ask the question, how might that whole process be shaping our process of thinking about raising up leaders in our own congregation? And, and sometimes when we get into some of these processes, we begin to think that way, that we ought to elect leaders that will kind of represent our positions for the meetings that are out there. That in some ways, we think of kind of church leaders as representatives of agendas and that sort of thing. And I want, what I want to say is I'm, I'm so grateful for this body. Uh, this has been the healthiest leadership that I have ever worked with or been a part of in a congregation. And I'm grateful for all those who serve. It's, it's a thankless job in many ways, but they're called to that. And they, they, feel, uh, they, 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 they do so many hours of work and, and calls and, and just care and concern and tears that are cried beside others. I'm so grateful to be a part of a staff that has a group of elders that serve beside us in the way that they do. And I think that's part of one of the healthy things of this church over the years has been trying to call up healthy leaders and have healthy process. And from the beginning of time, God's people have been trying to do that. been trying to figure out how do we lead in the midst of cultures that see things differently than we do? How, how are we a distinct community in the midst of a world that sometimes has gone mad? After all, since the very beginning, God's people have had human leaders. And as we've sought how to organize ourselves, we tend to look to the culture around us. In fact, I want to go back this morning to a, a chapter in the Bible that talks about early on in Israel's history, how they chose leaders and how they looked at the culture around them to do it. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or tablets, turn open with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel 8. Now, the context for this story is that the people of God have, have, have been freed from Egypt. They've gone into the promised land. They've received all these commands that they're to follow. And they've had leaders along the way. They've had Abraham, and then they have Moses. And they have Joshua that leads them into the promised land. And after Joshua, there's a period of judges where they have these judges, these leaders that rule over Israel. And at times it doesn't go so well because they lose their judge and they lose their way. And then God calls them back and it judges a mess. But after all that, in 1 Samuel, we see that Samuel is the leader of the people of God. And there's a problem coming up because Samuel's getting older in age. And, and the problem is uh, you don't have a family line of succession with Samuel because his sons have not followed in the ways that Samuel uh, led the, the nation. And so the people see this problem and they realize we're going to have to do something. So they look to the cultures around them and the people cry out for Samuel and they say, we want a king to lead us. And Samuel's a little offended by this because well, he's been their king. And, and, and God has a chat with Samuel that I think it's important for us to listen in on this morning as we step into this process of uh, selecting leaders in our body. This is uh, first Kings, uh, first Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. They said to him, Samuel, you're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. So why do they want a king? Well, it's pretty simple. They look around them at these other nations and the king's the one who leads them into battle. The king's the one who, who makes decisions and is, is the wise person who's there. And they look around and they say, hey, if these nations have kings, maybe we should have a king too. Well, let's read on and, and see what God says because Samuel goes and prays to God about this. And this is God's response. First Samuel 8 verse 7. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they've done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim 
as his rights. So Samuel's offended, but God says, look, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. I've been their king all along. But if they want a king, then I'll give them a king. But I want you to warn them before the king comes what's going to happen. So he he begins to kind of detail, hey, if you have a king, this is probably how it's going to work out, okay? There's several things he says. He says, uh, he's going to take your... He's going he's gonna to have power over you, right? You're going to have somebody who's in influence. And then he's going to take your sons and he's going to uh, draft them into his army for battle. And then he's going to take your daughters and he's going to make them servants in his kingdom and, 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 and add them to his harem. And he'll take your property and, and he's going to tax you. <laughs> Does any of this sound familiar? And, and this is what you're going to do at that point. At some point down the line, you're going to regret this decision. And you're going to come to me and you're going to cry out and you're going to say, hey, God, help us do something about this. And, and my response, God says to tell them is, I'm not going to answer you at that point. You choose this, that's fine, but you got to know what you're getting into. And here's their response to the, all this in verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Now, this is a turning point for the people of Israel. Things go south once Saul gets in power, and eventually they have to kind of move on from him. And David comes in the throne. There are good and bad kings that come in different seasons, and Israel kind of goes up and down and fluctuates based on the righteousness of the king. But it isn't good after this, and what God says is going to happen ends up happening. I think it's really important for us to realize when we uh, ask God for things that sometimes we don't know the implications of what we're asking. Sometimes the worst thing God can do is actually give us the very thing we want. Um, I, I realized this through a story I remember from my eighth grade year. I just moved from San Diego to Dallas. And so I was trying to make new friendships. It was middle school. And you know how that time of life is. And so I, I made a friend in the first few months at school, and he invited me to come over to the house and play video games or whatever middle schoolers do, right? And we were over playing, and I was going to stay over for dinner, and then I, my mom was going to come pick me up after that. And so I was really excited to have a new friend, and, and I'm over there trying to be respectful of this house and follow the rules and all that. And, 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 and the mom comes in in the midst of our video games, and she says, hey, uh, Colin, we, we want to be aware of what your likes and dislikes are around food. What, what would you like me to make? And she gave some options, and I said, that'll be fine. And she got to the, the vegetables in particular. I think she's more worried about that with an eighth grader. And she said, what, what do you like? And I said, well, I, I, okra is one of my favorites. I don't know if you have any okra. And she said, yeah, I, I can make okra. So, so we go back to our video game and all, all that. And I get to the table and it's time to do that. My parents had taught me, oh, eat what's set before you. That's a scriptural principle, right? And I look around the table and I see everything there except the okra. And, you know, I'd grown up going to cafeterias my life. And the only okra I knew was brown. And this one wasn't brown, right? This was green okra, right? This was fresh okra. And I remember looking out and going, oh, I've made a mistake. Like, where's the okra? And she said, well, that's the okra. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to have to swallow that. I don't even know what that is. And it's one of those times I remember back to these moments where we ask for things. And sometimes when we ask for things, we don't know the implications of what that means. We don't understand. And I think that's true in our prayer life with God. There are times in my life where I've asked for things. And looking back, God hasn't answered those requests, and I'm glad he hasn't. Because the world would be a mess if all the prayers I asked for, God came through on. Because he sees things so much more clearly from a different perspective. Which brings me to a story in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is on his way to the cross. 
Three different times in, in Mark 8 and following, he tells the story about what's going to happen. He says, look, I'm going to be going to the cross and I'm going to suffer. And every time the disciples don't get it, it's not what they signed up for. They were signing up for taking over Rome. They were signing up for power and taking over. And, 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 and Jesus says, okay, I'm going to the cross and you need to know that. And every time they, they just make fools of themselves. Like one time, you know, Peter says, that's not where we're going. And Jesus calls him Satan and says, get behind me. You don't have any ways in mind the ways of God, but the ways of man. Another time they're arguing about who's greatest on the road. But there's another time in, in, in Mark chapter 10 where James and John come to Jesus and they make a request. And I want to read this to you. Again, his closest disciples, James and John, have a request for Jesus. And it's a bold request. Listen to what they ask for. This is Mark 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Have you ever made that request to God before? I want a blank check, God. I want three wishes, no matter what it is, right? And Jesus is wise enough to know you don't just give James and John whatever they want. So this is what he says in verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? Good clarifying question. Good strategy as a parent, right? Don't just offer the world and ask what it is. Then verses 37 to 38, we see uh, the story gets, the, th- the plot thickens. They reply, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? So this is the request. Jesus, when you come into glory, you want to sit your right and your left. Now that is a bold request. I want you to think about this for a moment, right? Jesus, where is he sitting right now? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father is what Scripture teaches us. One of them is asking for a seat between Jesus and God the Father, right? I mean, that's a bold request. Or maybe they're thinking more physically, right? God's come to take over and he's going to set up his throne over the Romans and, and these godless people are going to be taken down and then Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem and our land's going to be back. And so these are cabinet positions they're asking for, right? Jesus, we want to influence with you for the good of the kingdom. We know where this is all headed. Now they've already heard twice Jesus saying a different picture about the end, but they still don't have it in their minds. So saying, just Jesus, would you let us have these seats? What they don't realize is that Jesus' glory is going to look a little different than thrones or a seat in heaven between Jesus and his Father. His glory is going to look like the cross with two criminals beside him. They have no idea what they're asking. James and John are looking for positions of power. But where Jesus' glory is, is going to require a different path. It's going to take a path that's going to mean suffering. It's going to be a a power that's not going to look like the power that the world knows about. Because on the cross, Jesus is glorified. And I have to wonder sometimes when we're asking for positions of influence in the world, when we're asking God to put us in places where we can make an influence, sometimes we may have in mind different things than God has in mind. And that's exactly what Jesus says. You don't know what you're asking. But James and John still don't get it. Listen to verse 39 and following. We can, they answered. Jesus uh, Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left, is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. James and John don't get it, and neither do the rest of the disciples. But the key passage I want us to dwell on as we think about selecting leaders in the days to come comes in Jesus' kind of summary statement, what he says at the end of all this. So I want to keep reading verses 42. and Actually, verse 41, if we can back up to that, I want to read that. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, why are they indignant, right? Because they wanted those positions and they weren't bold enough to ask first. None of them get it. 
But Jesus responds in verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the way the world works, isn't it? The Gentiles, they know how power and authority works. You rule over people. You dominate people. When you want to take a new land, you come in and you say, you can either admit that Jesus or that Caesar is Lord, or we can uh, make sure that you don't exist anymore. That's how you take over new land. That's how you exert your power. That's how you exert control. And I'm guessing none of you have quite heard it put that way as the Romans might have put it. But there's variations you've heard about life and influence, right? This is how you gain a foothold. This is how you rise up the ladder. This is how you work your way in the world. From the beginning of time, the world has seen leadership as power over others. We've seen it as being able to exert our influence or our control over other populations. And Jesus says, if you look to the world to define leadership, it will always look like this. It will always be power over others. That's what the pagans do. They persecute minorities. They crucify those who do not submit to Caesar. That's how the kingdoms of this world work. And unfortunately, over the years, we've selected leaders sometimes with that kind of mindset. We, we look to those around us and we think, well, we've got to look to those who are in power uh, in other places. And we call them and automatically just kind of baptize it and call it Christian. That's what Christian leadership is. But Jesus' words to James and John ought to ring clear to us as we select leaders. Let me read again verses 42 and 43. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Well, if we could just have those four words on repeat in our lives, through so much of the advice we get from other places, it would be so helpful. Yes, the world works this way, but when you signed up for the Jesus way, not so with you. Yes, people lord it over people, and you have people in your life who are now trying to exert control and influence over you, and it's challenging and it's frustrating. That's not how we interact in the kingdom of God. There's a different way of leadership, a different pattern that Jesus sets on our behalf. The kingdom of God does not advance through power over others. It always advances through power under others, lifting others up, sacrificing ourselves. And Jesus is the guide, and he does this. He lays down his life. This is what kingdom leadership is all about. And if we look back historically, we've all seen moments where Christianity has believed in another mode of power where we've been on top, and it rarely goes well, does it? You think back to the Crusades. Think back to the Inquisition. You Think back to those moments where we tried to get back in power again and exert our influence, and boy, it just never turns out well because the kingdom is not exerted through power over it. It is always through service and through sacrifice and through laying down our lives. Over the next couple of weeks, you're going to be invited to join in a process of discerning the best elders to help us lead into this next season of our church's life. But as you do that, I want to spark your imagination not to think in the ways we always have. And I want to say about the current elders, I'm so grateful for these men that I get to serve with. I'm grateful for the ways that they lay down their lives. 
They lay down their agendas. It's not about bringing representation or agenda. It's about discerning the will of God together. And that's not always an easy thing to do, but it's always going to mean us submitting to one another and submitting our leadership to Christ. That's what Ephesians 5 says before it talks about the, the household codes that Josh Ross talked about a few weeks ago, right? The first of that is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And every role of leadership means that we do that. We lay down our influence. We lay down the things that we have in order to lift others up. And it's so natural for us to to look to certain kinds of people to set up as leaders in a church. So natural to look at maybe people who've accumulated resources or been able to lead large organizations. And we certainly need those kinds of gifts to help us lead here. We don't need to throw those things out as if the kingdom is only a lack of strategy. We also need people who can walk with people in the hardest times of their lives. We'll show up at the hospital who show up there and give sound guidance when people need it most. We'll show up and challenge us when we need challenging and encourage us when we need encouraging. We need people who can listen well and who can provide care in the best ways. Since the beginning of time, we as as the church have tried to look more like the world than we've tried to look like the church. We've looked to other influences and looked to ways to lead ourselves in that way. It was true in 1 Samuel 8, wasn't it? People say, hey, we want to be like all the other nations. Israel was not supposed to be like all the other nations. It was supposed to be a set-apart nation. Same thing's true in Mark chapter 10. These disciples come to Jesus and say, we want to be your right and your left and your glory. We want those positions when we come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. And all too often in our own experience today, it looks the same. So to those of you who are selecting leaders, when you nominate leaders, I encourage you to think of the leaders in this church who serve without fanfare. who are invested in interested in your lives without needing others to know about it. Who are shepherds and care for the flock. People you would go to in those moments that you need the most. To those of you who desire to be elders, though, let me say that's an important thing for us to realize is it's a good thing to desire to be a leader. In fact, Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read this verse real quickly. Here is a trustworthy saying, Paul writes to Timothy. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. It's a good thing to desire to have influence, to lead God's people in whatever ways we find that, whether that's in our area of influence in our community or neighborhood, or it's in our family, or it's in, in the church. But don't mistake what this whole kingdom thing is about. You step up to a, be a leader, an elder, be careful what you ask for. Because James and John, well, they thought they were asking for positions beside Jesus, and they were. And it was where they ended up in the end, on the cross. All these disciples, many of them, ended up being martyrs. And that's what it means to follow Jesus wherever he takes us, is we never know where it might lead us. We never know what the end may be. All we know is the means can't be like the world's means as we pursue the kingdom to be salt and light wherever we go. So I hope over these next few weeks that you'll be in prayer about this. To be considering those in our church that are leaders, then you'll be nominating people that would be good for us for the next stage of this church's journey. I want to close in prayer this morning and then we'll close our time together. God, we we give thanks for the ways that you have led your people throughout the generations. And you used all kinds of people, God. You've used people that are incredible leaders that could have led nations and businesses, God, and you've planted them in the kingdom. You've used people who were good leaders in the nation and business and you've used them. God, you've used... uh, people that people wouldn't normally look to, and you've used them as some of the best examples of shepherds 
in churches. And God, that's our desire. We want to be a church that better cares for our flock and better cares for those who aren't yet a part of our flock. God, who searches out the one in the midst of the 99 who are here. God, give us those leaders. Point our direction to them and help us to have a healthy process so that we continue to be a healthy church that moves into this next generation to be salt and light in the ways you call us to be. God, point us to the ones who point us to truth. Point us to the ones who point us uh, and inspire us, God, to a life that looks like Jesus. And point us to the ones who will care for us and give us wisdom in the moments that we need it most. God, I thank you for those who are currently elders, and I pray for those who will become in the next few months. And I lift a prayer up over all of us, God, for all of us who are influencers, that we would choose to be people who lead in the Jesus way and don't give up on that for the sake of the way the world teaches. Not so with us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.